and welcome to another edition of the Beer Vana Podcast. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. And I, I, as you ask that, I kind of glance toward the window where sunshine is pouring through. Yeah, it's a sunny. Actually, we've had a number of days of sunshine in, in Portland in December, which is... Used to be really vanishing rarely. Rare. rare and unexpected. It is cold. It's quite cold and windy. Yeah. Um, and I was going to go up on my big, tall, my new big, tall ladder to fix my gutters. Uh, but it was too freaking cold and, and windy. So if the wind dies down, I'll, I'll do that soon. At, that's interesting. After you leave, I'm doing the same thing. I'm up on the roof. I'm getting the leaves out of the gutter. There's a few leaves in the, the crook where the roof line meets. Yep. And it, then all the trees are, all the leaves are off the tree. So presumably more leaves. <laughs> well, that's the good thing there. about having all this wind is it hopefully knocking off all the last leaves. Uh, but I have actually a sagging gutter, so I have to figure out how to, how to fix it. I think I know how to fix it, but I actually have to do it. So, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll save the rest of our conversation for our other podcast adventures in gutter maintenance. <laughs> <laughs> so this one's the, anyway, uh, there's your, there's your Portland weather update. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> come, come somewhat, somewhat controversial, but, um, but you get it nevertheless. Uh, exciting news. Uh, actually, we should finish the intro before I get to exciting news. Um, with me, of course, is Jeff Allworth, Secrets of the Master Brewers author, also author of The Beer Bible and Cider Made Simple. The Beer Bible apparently is featured at Target. I went to Target and I saw the featured section. Yours wasn't there, so it must have been sold out. Wasn't there? Yeah. There was uh, a wine book there, so I was like, this must be the place. So it was either sold out or the Portland Target didn't get the memo. Well, that's yeah. That's not exciting. I, know. I, I thought about complaining to management, but then that hmm. moment passed after hmm. about a second. <laughs> but you remembered it. You somehow... I did. I was really excited. I yeah. was going to find your book on display in Target. I, I, I failed. Give you big props. That was, that was a few weeks ago, by the way. That might have been too early. Yeah, could be. Uh, okay. You can find him blogging at uh, the Beervana blog. And with me is Patrick... Emerson, who is a professor of economics at Oregon State University. Go Beeves. Uh, you can find him tweeting at Beeronomics. Yeah, this is at the end of finals week, by the way. Oh, Today's the last nice. day of finals. Or maybe oh, there's finals tomorrow. I don't know if there's finals tomorrow. Anyway. Are you teaching a class? It doesn't matter for you, right? Uh, this fall, I'm teaching an online class only. Oh. Not okay. by choice, but I'm doing it. And uh, so finals are being taken somewhere, somehow. Mm-hmm. And I'll find out at the end. <laughs> You'll have to have some grading. To it's a very weird disembodied teaching. It's not not my not my favorite. Uh, the exciting news, because I teased it, so I better come back to it. That's true. I'd immediately forgotten it. You so and I'm I have you and I have booked train tickets. Oh, it's to the true. to the great city to the north, Seattle. That's right, the Emerald City. The Emerald City. We're we're coming. We're doing it. We've been promising for a long time to come up to Seattle, and it's it's booked, baby. We're going to do it. And we have uh, we put out on social media calls for which breweries to visit. We're drawing up a list. We're contacting breweries. We're going to try to talk to a couple of them. And then we're going to visit others. And we will do podcasting throughout. We will have a trove of material that we'll come back to Portland with. And um, over the course of weeks, we will broadcast yeah. it. Yeah, and if it all goes well, maybe we'll expand our horizons and think about doing this in, in other cities. Uh, yeah, Bend, maybe. We should do Bend. Yeah, I'm thinking of places we can drive. To. I was gonna say that's 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 not terribly ambitious, but yeah, yeah, yeah. we could do that. Uh, <laughs> not, not terribly ambitious is my middle name. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we get our big corporate sponsorship, we can go to uh, Asheville or places like that. That's right. Uh, 
10 days. We're going to do it in a little over a week. And if a consortium of breweries in some city wants to fly us in, hey, That's hey, right. hey. Yeah. Think about the high quality exposure you'll get. <laughs> we're not above uh, junketing. So let us know. Yep. Yeah. By the way, part of the call I put, um, but has yet uh, to be um, responded to, probably because of me and not you, is I said food matters too. So tell me where you get good food. Nobody's, nobody's told me. So guys, tell me. Girls, everybody, uh, tell us where. Tell us the pubs for good beer and for good food. Yep. Because I like both. We're leaving uh, a little <laughs> over a week from now, so you have time. That's right. Yeah. Get on Get on the Twitters. It's uh, it's uh, Jeff's Twitter for you. That's, that's the one you should be. At Beeronomics, everybody. At, he asked it, so uh, tell Well, that's Patrick. true. At Beeronomics. At Beeronom- you'll find it at Beeronomics and at Beervana. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so this week... Uh, kind of a cool topic. Um, today we're going to take a trip to China to hear a little bit about the shoots of craft brewing taking root there. Our guide will be Ben Love of Gigantic Brewing here in Portland. Ben was recently invited to participate in a project that paired eight North American breweries with eight Chinese breweries for a festival held in Beijing last month. Ben traveled around China, visited several breweries, and reports back with his discoveries. Yes. So uh, this interview is one that you conducted. That's right. You uh, wanted to come, but we couldn't do the timing. I was, in fact, in, in Corvallis for meetings, Yep. sadly. <laughs> I almost thought about using an excuse to get out. Uh, but it was like the big end of year or end of uh, term meeting, so I felt that would be bad. I either have to lie or I'd have to be truthful and then suck up suffer the, the, suffer the, 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 appro- the opprobrium. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so we'll we'll hear uh, from Ben soon. Uh, but first, of course, as always, the news. So we have a little bit more news from the home front, which I think is again representative of what's happening nationally. Uh, earlier this week, Fatheads Brewing announced it was closing its Portland outpost. Uh, it will be re- reborn as Von Ebert Brewing. Um, Ohio, Ohio-based Fatheads was an unlikely candidate to open a brew pub in the Pearl District, where it's located, um, which is Portland's richest zip code, kind of upscale place. Trendy shopping district. Yeah. Um, so the beer was considered uh, and rated very well uh, during Fatheads' tenure, but the pub experience was a little out of step with that neighborhood what do you Uh, mean well if people have midwesterners may know fatheads others may not the logo is a obese man with a mustache uh and the vibe was you know pretty tgi fridays uh inside kind of okay yeah see i never actually visited and partly because maybe exactly maybe i'm i'm the the example of what you're saying because uh it never quite kind of clicked with me um yeah, it was. It's interesting. I mean, the the rents in the Pearl are so expensive that it was weirdly attracting a lot of chain kind of national chain restaurants because they were the only ones who could afford the rent. Yeah. Um, so that was becoming kind of an early fixture in this. And so people who don't know Portland, the Pearl is this relatively new neighborhood that is sort of like a little Manhattan. Mm-hmm. It's all um, apartment dwelling, and it's very it's quite upscale. You know, a one bedroom apartment there, six hundred square foot apartment is going to. Yeah, it Cost used to be. It used to be the warehouse industrial district. In fact, it used to house the uh, Blitz Weinhard Brewery, which took up what four four square blocks. Yeah, um, and that was that's all been redeveloped, and so it was actually quite close to the old brewery. Right. 
but yeah, there's a <laughs> there's a Midwestern uh, sort of uh, um, aesthetic that definitely uh, that it represented. Um, having grown up in Wisconsin, I I know of what I speak sort of this this glorification of like really unhealthy foods and stuff like that. Yeah, and, <laughs> unhealthy lifestyles. <laughs> and I I actually never really ate there, but um, as this was all happening, there was a fair amount of commentary about the food there, which is apparently very much like you're describing: yeah. gigantic burgers and gigantic good old Midwestern, things. lots of cheese. Yeah, you know, <laughs> grease of, and cheese, tasty, but uh, yeah. And actually, healthy. I never even had their beer, so that I do regret that. Um, but yes. it will be reborn, and I imagine I I'm I'm guessing I I, I know not, but they put out. Uh, uh, a statement saying something about if the staff will be invited to uh, to remain um, in this new incarnation. So I I suspect that uh, the the cadre of brewing talent they have assembled will likely carry on. It will, and they're actually adding Sean Burke, who was the the brewer at the uh, Commons. So they're going to ah. uh, upgrade, and I think maybe the focus Fatheads was quite he- uh, IPA heavy. Yeah. So I think the focus will maybe shift slightly away from IPAs. I'm sure they'll still do many IPAs, but um, Sean is famous for his European balanced beers. So. Yeah, and one of the things we were talking before we started recording the pod, but one of the things that I had, didn't know and I felt I found quite shocking is it was a franchise. Yeah. It was a franchise agreement. It wasn't Fathead's uh, own investment. Yeah. So it was a local franchisee who's basically ditching the, the Fathead's um, uh a brand. That's right. And I think this is the, the, the reason I wanted to throw this on the, the docket was because um, many breweries come to Portland to, tr- to ply their, you know, ply their trade here in the waters mm-hmm. of the world's or the, the country's most advanced brewing scene. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, it's going to be difficult for out-of-state breweries. It's always difficult for out-of-state breweries, but people didn't connect with that brand. And yep. um, we're about to, we just mentioned Sean Burke at the Commons. The Commons is about to be inhabited by say, yeah. a San Diego brewery, Modern Times. So we're going to see how Modern Times works in the city of Portland. Yeah, so but these are interesting. In that case, I am assuming it's Modern Times' own investment. Yes, it's that's not my a understanding arrangement. Too. Yeah. I've not so, talked to people involved in that deal, though. So Yeah, I kind of understand um, just the idea of uh, sort of a, a research and development kind of ethos. Like, you get close to where it's at. I, I mean, I think I mentioned this in, in a pod or two ago that uh, both Adidas has their North American headquarters here and Under Armour just opened a West Coast uh, headquarters out here because there's such a big uh, a sportswear apparel industry out here, um, obviously f- um, started with Nike and Columbia. Uh, but you come out here because there's a lot of talent, there's a lot of ideas, this is a place where you can sort of tap into all of that. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if that's true for, for brewing as well. I mentioned in, in also in an earlier pod how uh, it's got to be difficult if you're pretty isolated as a brewer um, to really stay um, uh, current, sort of in the, in, in the mix, uh, learning about new things, new ideas, new innovations. So anyway... Uh, it, I can understand that if you're a place like Magic Hat coming in this market, wanting to sort of tap into it, tap into the um, to the knowledge base and the talent base. Um, it's less clear why a local business person would do a franchise of a Midwestern brewery. Yeah, that is curious. Yeah, I mean, it's it it seemed to well, actually, I don't know. I, on 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 very busy nights. Um, I would walk by and it would seem to be moving pretty well, but it's a big place. I don't know how many covers they need to really make it go. Yeah. You just said magic hat. You meant uh, modern times. Modern times. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> Almost the same thing. <laughs> Almost the same thing. Just from right around the corner. All right. So our second news uh, item uh, is uh, been um, talked about actually on my Twitter feed. There's an interesting discussion um, tied into yours. So tucked away in the U.S. Senate's tax cut bill that passed last week was a provision for breweries. The legislation would have the qu- the current excise tax from seven dollars to three fifty dollars a barrel on the first sixty thousand barrels made by breweries whose total production is two million barrels or less a year. Uh, it would have also cut the tax from $18 to $16 on the first 6 million barrels for all breweries. However, the tax cuts uh, as it stands only last through the end of 2019. Yeah, which is something I didn't know when, when we were having that discussion on yeah. Twitter. Yeah, and then finally someone chimed in and said, hey, by the way, this is only for two years. So, oh, okay, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is not in the, con- in the, um, the House version. I I don't know if it's in the House version. Mm-hmm. I do know that. So the background on this is this is a, a piece of bipartisan legislation that has been in the works for yes. for years and years. And, and we've mentioned it in the past, I think. Yeah. So it is certainly not controversial. I don't think the House would have any trouble with the provision. There's many um, Republican and Democratic co-sponsors. So yeah. it's probably not a, an issue, uh, particularly given it's only two years, which is uh, going to barely affect anything. So I don't know. At some point... I might propose a, a podcast where we talk about taxes because I think taxes are an interesting yeah. piece here. And you're an economist and maybe you know about that. Cause well, part- I'm all about beer and I'm all about craft beer. But uh, I raised the question, which is, you know, what's the purpose of this? Is the purpose to try and help out a struggling industry? Uh, if so, it seems to be aimed at the wrong industry because craft beer is doing pretty well. And then the second was, uh, what is the actual sort of equilibrium effect of this tax? And I suggested that economic theory would tell us um, that this is basically just a, a cost cut, right? So it's going to lower the overall cost, and that uh, should lower the, su- the supply curve for breweries, which basically leads to more beer at lower prices, which is great for consumers, yeah. uh, but not necessarily a boon for brewers because those costs uh, that are this this cost savings is shared by all breweries, and so you'd expect that to whittle the bottom line down through price decreases. All right, man, don't step on our future pod. Don't okay. throw away the jewels. Well, this is just a tease, right? Okay, because you fun. want you want about three more hours of this conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's scintillating. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so I'm a little bit. I was playing a little bit of the devil's advocate. Like, well, is this really uh, a great thing for craft brewers? But um, hey. Right. Take take it where you get it, man. Well, I, w- I am definitely interested in the politi- in the uh, economics of that. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about the politics, and maybe we b- will actually prepare for that podcast. And I'll interview a couple of brewers and see what they think, so we can throw them in there into the mix, and that'll be really inter- interesting. Maybe yeah. Even well, more once interesting. You, yeah. So brewers are small business people, and once you get any small business people, but especially brewers have a bunch of extra little taxes here and there. Once you get going, them going on taxes, that yeah, they don't shut up. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and just because somebody thinks it's a good idea for their, their company doesn't mean it's a good idea in, in, in economic terms, which will be interesting. We'll just bounce all that stuff off. So yeah. All right. Stay, look for that. Look for that. Yeah, definitely. Keep that in mind. <laughs> all right. So let's turn to the, to the main topic, uh, which is Jeff's interview with Ben Love of Gigantic Brewing here in Portland. Uh, Jeff, you want to set up the interview for us? Sure. Uh, it's kind of an extensive interview, so this podcast is going to be a little bit long. I think it's about 50 minutes. Um, and part of the reason for that is because Ben and I talked a little bit about Gigantic and some of their other um, 
collaboration experiences. Ben and uh, his partner, Van Havig, have done collaborations with uh, folks in Scandinavia and Japan and now China, mm-hmm. uh, Canada, they have done. And so uh, we kind of hear a little bit about the whole collaborate, international collaboration thing to get things started before he talks about his experience in China, um, which uh, was pretty fascinating and how he and, and uh, mostly Northwest brewers, um, including one from Canada, uh, got paired up with these Chinese breweries and um, came up with, you know, fusion American, China, Sino-American beer, craft beer. Right. And he also talks about traveling around China and visiting different craft breweries and seeing what the scene was like, which is pretty fascinating. So it's not um, an insider's view, but it's a pretty interesting look into what's happening in China. So why don't we give that a listen? Yeah, and just uh, a little inside beer uh, 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 tidbit. Last week we were, um, or last podcast, we were talking about cans at uh, Hopworks brewery and uh ben used to brew at hopworks before he uh moved to gigantic correct that is correct all right. and uh, before that he, he brewed at pelican so he's been around the block a few yeah. times all right so let's uh let's turn to ben all right i'm here with ben love of gigantic brewing in uh the brewery in portland oregon hi ben hi <laughs> uh we're here to talk a little bit about chinese breweries and i'm not gonna uh present you as the final authority since you're a brewer <laughs> yeah. here, here in Portland. Uh, but you've just recently done a, a collaboration and visited China, and we, Patrick and I are very interested in uh, the brewing scenes in other countries, so yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that. Why don't you talk, uh, give the listeners uh, an overview of Gigantic to sure. begin with? Yeah, so Gigantic Brewing Company, we started in 2012. It was uh, myself and my partner, Van Havig. Uh, we had both brewed for for other people in the Portland area for quite a quite a long time and got together started gigantic uh, the name is a the name gigantic is a joke uh, we don't intend to be big um, <laughs> yeah which is it's funny because like because uh, you know we never we have capacity for like 4800 barrels uh, which it's funny like like I'm like that's not a very big brewery it actually came up when I was talking to a reporter in China uh, before going on this trip she's like how much you guys are small how much beer do you make and and I told her and she's like well that seems pretty big <laughs> and I, I was like I was like it's really not I was like let me try well and I was like let me translate let's see let's translate it into like bottles of beer or something like that or pints and it was like a million pints right and, yeah <laughs> and I was like okay yeah maybe it's yeah maybe we're, maybe we're bigger than than we seem but we're not like we're not really big and I guess one of the big differences is that we always had the intention to stay small, you know, and not to grow a lot of breweries. It's pretty typical that a lot of breweries will get going and they're kind of like, let's see how big we can get. And we were like, we're going to get to this size and that's how big we're going to be. Um, because for us, we felt like, you know, it allowed us to to be a reasonable size, to have a good working environment. You know, be, when you make enough beer, then you have enough people that it makes things easier on everybody, but also not so big and not continually growing so we're able to focus even more energy on, you know, making really great beer. Yeah. So, um, you know, when you're continually growing, then you're kind of always working on new things. So sometimes that can suffer. But, uh, yeah, so we're located in southeast Portland. Uh, we have a little tap room down here. Uh, just expanded into a barrel room. And we distribute beer in uh, 15 states and four countries. And... Um, you know, it's not 60% of the beer we make is sold 
in Oregon, uh-huh. basically in the Portland area. Right. But then we have these other markets that we've added, um, you know, partially for business reasons and then also for travel reasons. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, a lot of the markets that we're in, or a number of the markets that we're in, uh, we added them because of uh, personal relationships. So yeah. talk a little bit about that. I know you've done some collaborations with yeah. uh, other other country, brews in other countries. So how does that... Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, um, Van and I, you know, we've always been pro-collaboration and working with other brewers. Uh, you know, when we started the brewery, we actually did, I think, four collaborations before we even started our own brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, and then since we've opened the brewery, we've had a number of brewers here. We've uh, done collaborations across the country. We've always had an interest in, from the beginning, we had an interest in selling beer in Japan. Um, don't ask me why, like we just wanted to. Okay. And yeah, and so we've done uh, collaborations both here and in Japan. Um, you know, did one for this Chinese Chinese event. We've gone to the McKellar Beer Festival in Copenhagen a couple of years and uh, did a, we've done some brews with them. At their at the War Pigs Brewery. Yep, I've been there. Yeah, yeah it's a great spot. It's pretty yeah. cool. Very yeah. American. It is very the, American. The yeah. day I visited, the brewer was wearing a boneyard hat. I'm like, <laughs> all right, that's funny. Um, and you know, did a collaboration with uh, Magic Rock in uh, Huddersfield, which is just outside of Manchester. Okay. Um, we kind of we sold beer in the UK for about a year, uh-huh. and yeah, so and they we had them over here about six months before that to brew a beer here in Portland. Um, and then we've, uh, yeah, we've done a few other collaborations around. And so, and do these just form organically or how do you, like if you want to get to Japan and it seems like maybe England's easy, but how do you Mm -hmm. find a relationship with a Japanese brewer? Yeah. So with Japan, Japan, I mean, Japan's probably kind of a harder one in a way. Um, you know, there's, that started where, uh, the Oregon Brewers Festival actually brought some brewers over from Japan a couple yeah. of years ago, and um, we were already selling beer in Japan. And uh, when we found out which brewers were coming to Portland, one of them, Tama Morahanton, also kind of known as Shiga Kogan, which is where oh, yeah. they're from. Yeah, um, they uh, their brewer, uh, brewmaster Ego Sato. We we had heard about him because the. The place that imports our beer in Japan also sells his beer. So it's a Hato's Bar in mm-hmm. uh, Tokyo. And so when we saw that he was coming, we were like, can we brew with, with him? We actually hadn't met him before. And so that started our relationship. You know, it begins over email and start working on a recipe so that we have everything set up when he arrives. And then he was here for the festival and we brewed uh, that beer with him. And that was, that was actually just uh, July of 2016. And then I went back there um, in March this year, and so he hosts a beer festival um, called the Snow Monkey Beer Live uh, at Shigakogan, which, uh, so Shigakogan is a ski resort mm. there, and the brewery, Tama Morahantan, is like in the town that's just below the ski resort, and Tama Murray, like, they've been making sake for five generations, okay. and it's, it's pretty interesting, like, to hear Ego tell it. Uh, he was interested in making beer when he took over the family company then he thought you know sake was kind of it's been slowly uh, losing sales uh, mm. for everybody it's been it's been it's taken over by whiskey and shochu which is kind of the liquor version of sake, sake. Um, yeah exactly and so he was like 
he thought brewing might be a good thing to do. He was really interested in it. And I remember he told me that, that when he first started doing it and talking about building this brewery, some other people said to him, well, you can always do that as a hobby. You know, sake making is like what you guys do. That's what your family does. And, and he's like, oh, I'm going to give it a try. So he started with a 15-barrel brew house. And then now he has, I believe it's like a, it's at least a 60-heck brew house. Wow. Um, I believe it's a Rolex. And um, just, yeah, beautiful brew house. And he's designed it so that um, he can he can oversee everything easily and do the production there. And they make beautiful beers. Uh, and so we brewed a beer there that it was a New England IPA that we aged a portion of it in sake barrels. Mm, cool. So it got that great uh, Japanese cedar flavor. And actually, the yeah, the wood that the microphone is sitting on right now, this is Japanese cedar. So I actually got some of this. Uh, from a home brewer that was over here for the Willamette Week uh, Brew-Am. Yeah. And he had made a, an IPA aged with uh, Japanese cedar with Allen out at Zoigel. And so they had some of this wood left over that the Japanese brewer had brought, uh, and he didn't want to take it back. And I was like, I really want to make this beer in Portland, so it would be awesome if I could have it. He's like, oh, yeah, take it. And he gave me this little sake barrel, too. Very cool. Uh, I wonder what that barrel was. Yeah. So the microphone is sitting on this little wooden barrel. Uh, that's got like wicker binding. Um, it's like a half barrel, uh, but it, yeah. So that's what it looks like. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. It's like the size of a like a firkin about, which is what I'm hoping to do with it is to kind of turn it into a firkin when we make this beer. Um, so it was yeah, it was a home brewer from Tokyo that came over here and, and brought this over. And I don't know if I mean he had he had had our beer, which came out like in maybe it was in May that they released it back in Japan, and then we got a little bit of it. Of it. I'm here a few months later, but yeah. So yeah, with the Japanese brewers, that's all. all so I, yeah. So how did the Chinese thing come? I mean, so uh, yeah. So let's um, not just assume that it came through the Japanese uh, system, even though they're yeah, from our because they're so close. Actually, don't get along very well. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we actually saw uh, uh, in this town Yangshou, we saw a food truck that, like in English, it said on it, uh, "Japanese not welcome." <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but uh, but no, actually, so uh, the beer festival we went to China for, it was called the 8x8 uh, Brewing Project, and it was organized by Jing'e Brewing, uh, which is in Beijing, and I met the owners of Jing'e, uh, Alex and Christian, uh, at actually the McKellar Beer Festival. Okay. Um, they've been out there for that event, and we kind of hit it off, and I, I think we met there three years ago, and the first year that we went, and so we hung out with them, and saw them again the following year at that festival, and then also at a few other events, and then Alex's mom uh, actually lives out in Bend, and so he's oh, he's wow. out here quite regularly, um, and he doesn't come to Portland a lot, but, but he does from time to time, so he's, he's been by the brewery, and I, I think they were here for the OBF one year too. Yeah, I, re I recognize yeah. that name. Yeah, that they came then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him and Richard, and uh, Richard who runs uh, like marketing and advertising and stuff for them, and Christian, all three of them were out for the OBF. And so, so yeah, so they, they came to me and they are like, they're like, hey, we really want to do this uh, collaboration beer festival. And so it's eight by eight because there's uh, eight Northwest breweries. Okay. Uh, and so we have five from Oregon, two from Seattle, and one from Vancouver, BC. Mm -hmm. And then eight... Uh, Brewers from Greater China, so you know that's like China mainland, Taiwan, and Hong Kong, 
And Which is a big area, so... It's huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so when, when we went, um, Air Flare to China was pretty... It's reasonable. It's really reasonable. And so we ended up we ended up adding a couple extra days. Uh, uh-huh. We went to Chengdu first, uh, which is really far west okay. in Sichuan province. Uh, so, yeah, home of really spicy uh, and numbing uh, Sichuan food. Yeah. And we actually had some really great beer. The first brewery that we that we found out there is a pretty new one called Wild West Brewing. Okay. And um, and are these common as you're traveling around? Do you find microbreweries around? More and more, yeah. Yeah, from what I understand, from talking to people there, it seems like they're becoming more common that there have been... So in Chengdu, there was uh, a handful of like craft beer tap rooms mm-hmm. that we knew about and we visited two of them. Um, and and then Wild West was actually it was totally r- random. We went to this uh, kind of shopping area, the shopping street. That's you know it's been around for a few years, like a thousand or something like that, you know. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, we just came upon this brewery and we were like, oh, let's see what these beers are like. And they were delicious. And it was one of those things. So we were with uh, it was my wife Andrew and I and our friend Barnaby. Uh, who used to used to be at Three Floyds, and now he's consulting. He's working for a brewery in Sweden called uh, Stig Brigitte's. Okay. And our buddy Graham, who's the brewmaster at Parallel Forty Nine up in Vancouver, and they were the Canadian brewery. Gotcha. And so we went on a little kind of tour of Japan to get or China together. Uh, and so we all sat down, you know, honestly, like not expecting very much, sure. and the beers were delicious. Uh, we had this really great um, hoppy beer. And I'm ter- I wish I could remember what it's called. It's called, like, you know... Uh, anyways. Uh, it had a fantastic name that I can't remember right now. Uh, but, it, but it was just this delicious, hoppy beer. And, and we came to find out later on in our trip, and talking with some of the brewers in Beijing, that, uh, that they were about six months old, and the brewer was from Utah. Okay. Which is pretty common. That's one thing that we found, is that a lot of times uh, the, the brewers at these places are expats. Uh-huh. Um, typically... I'd say from the United States, but also, you know, we met some people that were originally from Russia and other places in Europe and, um, or even like Mexico city. Uh-huh. And, uh, that was our partner, uh, Moon Zen Brewing that we got paired with there in Hong Kong. Okay. And it's, uh, it's Laszlo and his wife, Michelle, and she's from Hong Kong originally. And he's from Mexico city. Uh, and he was actually, he was an engineer and was working all around the world, and he was in Tunisia when the uh, Arab Spring happened. And so he got out of there and went to Beijing, uh, and they, they met up there at Chusa Beijing University, and then went down to Hong Kong and started this uh, awesome brewery in Hong Kong. Huh. Um, and it was cool. Like, it was neat when we got paired up because... You know, never, never having met these people, that you're just kind of like, all right, we're just going to start emailing, kind of, kind of see what happens. And typically with collaboration brews, you know, it's, it's usually, yeah, you know, might might get introduced like this, where it's like for an event, mm-hmm. or, um, or maybe it's somebody that you've been friends with for a long time, and so you want to go brew a beer with them, uh, or it could be, you know, a lot of times it's. One brewery is selling beer in a new market, and so it's a good way to uh, become, you know, a part of that community. Right. And so, um, but typically, I mean, the way I usually like to do it is uh, when we have people out here, I like to ask the brewer that's visiting, you know, what are some ideas that you have? You know, what are you interested in making? Um, To let them 
yeah, let them begin the conversation and get things going because um, I try not to direct it too much, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, because because the whole idea is that we're trying to do something new and do something different and kind of push ourselves a bit um, and hopefully learn something new from it. And one of the great things about collaboration brewing that I've seen is that you, uh, a lot of times you have the opportunity to try an obscure idea and you know that that beer is going to sell. Right. You know, like, like sometimes if you try an obscure beer idea on your own, like it might just, I mean, the beer might taste good, but people aren't interested in buying it for whatever reason, you know, but if it's a collaboration, then you have a lot more, uh, there's a lot more people that are interested in picking that beer up. Interesting. Um, yeah, so, so it actually is an incentive to experiment since you already I think have so. a little bit of a built-in audience for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these Chinese breweries, how long has China had a craft beer thing going on? How, how many years? Like, what's the oldest brewery there that you encountered? That's actually, you know, I, I can't say for certain. I feel like um, around, you know, I'm not, I'm not actually sure. I think around five years. Yeah, not um, super long. Yeah, but not that long. You know, most of the beer that we had on the trip was three uh, percent alcohol. You know, in a tall boy can uh-huh. <laughs> with the with the rip off lid. You know, or the, you know the classic uh, classic pop top or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and um, and and so if the craft brewers, yeah, I think they've been around about five years, and then they're all fairly small. Um, and one of the big reasons is that that in order to you can get a license, I don't know how easy it is, but you can get a license to brew beer and make beer, I think, with relative ease. Uh, but that's beer that you can only sell yourself. In order to be able to distribute your beer, you have to have a bottling line that runs uh, 15,000 bottles an hour. Okay. Yeah, so it's like, it, that's a big line. Yeah. You know, that's an immense brewery. Uh, so there are some brewers like Jing A, you know, they have two brew pubs in Beijing. And then uh, they are—they're doing some distributing, but they're working with a larger brewer to contract brew the that beer that they're distributing. Um, so there are ways to get around it, but it'd be—it'd be nearly impossible to just like out of the gate start a, a big brewery there, right? You know, because you'd have unless you had enormous funding. Yeah, exactly, because there's so much risk. Yeah. Um, and then, and then from what I understand, you know, the distribution networks can be pretty tough too because up until this point, it's just these large brewers, mm-hmm. and so, uh, so it's like, who do you who do you sell through? Where do you go through? Um, All the big breweries have this real interest in China. Uh, it's the big growth area. Mm-hmm. Everyone's looking at that. ABI yeah. and others have tried to make a big rush on the market. Do people drink beer there? Just you know, if you go to a restaurant, or I mean, is is beer a thing? Just standard beer, like snow or, you know, anything. I mean, it is, you know, like, uh, th- what I kept hearing people say is that snow's the number one beer in the world based yeah. on, you know, volume. Right. Um, Big population. Yeah, exactly. That was one of the craziest things, actually, is that we get to Chengdu, and I knew it was a pretty good-sized city, but I think it's, like, 18 billion, something yeah. like that, or maybe even more. <laughs> and then and then we went to Hong Kong, and you know that's going to be big. But then we, um, we went over to... Uh, Shenzhen, which is just the other side into mainland China from Hong Kong. Yeah. And took the bullet train up to, um, I'm going to butcher the name, but uh, um, Guilin. Okay. And it's this, you know, basically you go up to Guilin and then there's the Li River and you can uh, take like a day cruise down it and it's just unbelievably gorgeous. All these uh, limestone karst hills. Mm. And I mean, it's just, it's, uh, 
it's just it's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful and and you take it down to this other uh, town called Yangshou and so going there like like reading the the book, tourist books about it like in my mind like Weilin is like a little tiny town you know like maybe 100,000 people maybe you know and we get there and it's uh, like 5 million people yeah it's like the hell is going on and then <laughs> and then like Yangshou like you read about it in the books and it seems like it's this like almost like an outpost kind of uh, 400,000 people yeah and so yeah there's like yeah unbelievable numbers of people there and they actually oh you know they, the middle class there, there is a middle class so there's a foreign middle class and so they have money and they want to spend it on good products and stuff so they so they are uh so there's definitely a market for it there, and you're right. Like AB, um, a lot of craft breweries. Uh, actually, when we were there, then Stone was doing their big launch. Oh, I don't know and about so, that. Stone is in China. They're in China. Yeah. Um, they. I met the guy who they have. They have a guy who I think he was a sales rep for them stateside, but he has experience in China. So now he's like their their man in China, mm. and then I believe he's living there now and you know running that. But like Greg and Steve and the CEO were all out there, and um, I know they were in Beijing when we were, and then we had gone to Chengdu before, and there was posters up there about how they were going to be arriving later on, and you know, so they're doing a big, big push in China, um, and I've heard other breweries are doing that as well. But it's still like a, it's kind of a funny thing. It'll be interesting to see how much total sales it is because. Because I didn't see a lot of craft beer just out yeah. in in the market, but there's definitely potential. There's a lot of potential, so it could be there. It probably will be there. Um, people will be interested in the flavors. It'll be interesting to see what they want. That's exactly. I was going to ask you. <laughs> yeah, what, what, what are these crafting towards? What are these guys making? What kind of beer? Um, is there any sense you know, of Chinese beer, or uh, is it still are yeah. they making it in a German tradition, an American tradition? Like how are they? It's it's a lot like what we're doing here, and I think they're taking a lot of cues from uh, the states yeah. right now. You know, we saw a lot of a lot of hoppy beers. Okay. Um, you know, they're they're interested in, in New England IPAs, uh, <laughs> just like people here are. You know, uh, but just like kind of hops in general and. Uh, Actually, I mean, we saw basically the the tap lineups at most of these places looked pretty similar to what you see in Portland. Okay, uh, and and that's what the breweries were making too was beers that were fairly similar. So you'd have yeah, you'd have German styles, you know, lagers, pilsners, Kolsch, golden ales, hoppy stuff, uh, big stouts. Uh, you know, a lot of times they they'll have uh, Chinese ingredients in them. Um, certain beers will. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, so people will use Chinese fruits, uh, Szechuan peppercorns, uh, maybe chilies. But okay. but I, you know, I can say I didn't talk to the guys about it, about how much of their sales came from those beers, or right. or if it was just like they wanted to do something fun and people are interested in it. But it doesn't really account for a lot of actual sales. And what about barley and hops? I know that there are some hops that are grown in China. Yeah, there are some hops that are grown in China, but most of what the crappers are working with is the same stuff that, that so we're working with. They're getting imported things. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and I think the same with barley as well. Most of it was imported too. Um, yeah. So what what did you end up brewing uh, yeah, with so your, your Hong Kong partner? So... We kicked a few ideas around. Actually, I feel like we had three really good ideas, and the one that we decided on was, um, well, yeah, I'll go through the ideas. So one was like a basically kind of an oyster stout, but something that had, um, you know, like a 
maybe a, a Hong Kong kind of sea, you know, sea creature. I don't know what it would be. I've been to Hong Kong. It could be oysters, but it could be a number of things. You yeah. Know? If you uh, go to Hong to Kong. To get that characteristic. There are, there are places, especially in Kowloon. Yeah. Where there are fish markets. Yeah. And they have living fish, like lots of crazy fish. <laughs> so, yeah. That makes a lot There's of sense. There's a lot of potential. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was one of the ideas. Um, and then the, the craziest idea was actually, uh, Laszlo presented it, but then I had talked with, uh, Jeffers. It was funny. I had talked with Jeffers from Firestone Walker, like a few days before that about this idea, but of, uh, fermenting the beer with, uh, blue cheese culture. Mm. Um, and none of us had done it. We were all just interested in it. <laughs> so we were like, we were like, maybe we should try that. And everybody was fascinated in it, but we, you know, we were like, that's a little too out there, you know, so let's not do that one. But the one that we decided on was, uh, was Moonzen, uh, working with Jing'e. They had, <laughs> there's this, there's this kind of form of beer that's made in China, um, that uses, basically they, they make bread and then they, they soak the bread in water and you get the natural yeast and then get this whole, you know, get the process going and you add the wet bread. I mean, it's really, this is going way like, back as like far Chinese as... Like Chinese kvass or something. Exactly. It was basically kvass, yeah. And um, and so they had gone to a place where they've been making it for hundreds of years and um, got the culture. That is super cool. Yeah, and they made a beer with it uh, that they called, I don't think it was prehistoric, it was some, some word like that. Um, and... Uh, Actually, why did I bring a story? But uh, they made a beer with it. So I'd read about it. In, in learning about Moonzen, I'd read, read about them making this beer. And I was like, well, what do you think about using that culture to brew a beer through our beer? And then we could add um, some fruit from Oregon and some, some, some fruit from uh, China to it, you know, and kind of make a, a wild fruit beer. And so that's the one we decided on. And nice. um, originally, I, I really wanted to send Marionberries, uh, but. I couldn't find an, like a aseptic source we can uh, mm. send over. Although I found one like right after, uh, so we did boysenberry <laughs> instead, and then they added uh, Chinese mulberries to it. Cool. So yeah, That's so a it was famous like, Chinese fruit. So. Yeah, exactly. So it was just like it was this neat uh, kind of fruit tart wild beer uh, with some real you know kind of funky characteristics, and it was definitely young. I had some of the. Um, the beer they made before the prehistoric beer uh -huh. and um that had gone farther and so it was even more tart okay. and it was really really nice so i think we poured our beer at the festival and then but but he only sent a few handful of kegs of that and then he's like i'm gonna sit on the rest of it for like a couple of years oh interesting yeah you know, let's see where this goes because it definitely he's like he's like this culture needs some time to really express itself and so i mean the beer we served was good but it's gonna get even better right um, and did you get to go to Hong Kong and meet the... I did. Brewery? So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I'm sure everybody knows Hong Kong is this, it's like Manhattan. So where do you yeah. put a brewery in, in Hong Kong? That's really funny because, uh, cause we, we went to go, you know, everything's like, yeah, high rises there basically. And, uh, so we went to their brewery and it's funny cause we were in a lot of contact with, and. And I so and I had Google Maps, so I'm like, we can find this thing. You know, I, can, <laughs> I can find it. And and we're just down in this big industrial area, and it's like it's supposed to be here somewhere. And so I started asking people, and and maybe I shouldn't be surprised about this, but I figured in Hong Kong, since like you know the British had controlled it for so long, that more people would speak English. But like nobody really speaks English in China. Yeah. That's a mistake I've made. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so like. 
Luckily, we found a like a UPS driver, <laughs> so nice. he was like, he was like, oh yeah, I know where that is, and he and he walked us to it. But yeah, so it was in this big like uh, industrial building that was multiple stories with like multiple freight elevators, and they were actually up on the second floor of this building. Which even in talking to them, they're like, yeah, you won't see breweries on the second floor because because you got all this water and everything, you know, you need a bunch yeah. of drainage. So they're usually on the on the first floor uh-huh. or in the basement. Right. You know, not on the second floor. But they, um, they had a, a beautiful space. Uh, they they technically don't have a tap room, but they do some events from time to time. And so they do have beers on tap there and some tables set up and everything. And it was, uh, I want to say it was like a, I think it was like a 15-barrel brewery. Mm-hmm. And they had, you know, a number of fermenters and a bottling line and, um, and beautiful beers that on tap. And they had, yeah, like kind of a full range golden IPA that actually it was a, it was a culture of Pilsner that they had with tea mm. and that was like I personally I love that beer uh, we're gonna see something like that at Gigantic maybe we have talked a lot about making tea beers and been working on uh, adding tea to beer and not getting astringency uh-huh. we've been doing that on the side you know and we're, we're really interested in it yeah uh, China, uh, Hong Kong has an amazing tea culture and yeah there are I got a little into tea when I was there I found this fermented tea called Pu'er. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If, uh, it's probably not appropriate for brewing, but it's an amazing tea. It's smoky, mm-hmm. and um, that's wonderful. Yeah. Actually, that could be, I feel like I had that, actually, when we were there. Yeah, you might have. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that was actually one of the ideas I was thinking with the oyster stout beer was to add uh, Lapsang Sushang tea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To add that smoke. And actually, right. I tried it out, and like, the smoke dominates the beer so much. Like It was... Uh, at least with the Lapsang Sushang I got, like, even in a small amount, it really? was too much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. But, like, um, yeah. This is how discussions with brewers, in my experience, always go. All around the whole down. <laughs> Pretty soon you're talking about tea in, in Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. They, they have all these, uh, all these, they call them barrels or something, but, I mean, they're basically, like, clay... They're clay vessels mm. that they've gotten, um, and they have wine in them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is, this is a yeah. I've, I've I've learned about this. Yeah. So they had a number of those, and they've uh, and they aged emptied wine them and cleaned them. them. Yeah. And they age wine in them, and so they've gotten these ones that basically like nobody ever emptied because they seal them up. Like they they put the lid on and they seal them with some sort of you know concrete type mixture. Oh. Um, and so. So they got these, they got these casks and they needed to like actually like break out, <laughs> break, break it open and open it up. And there was still wine in these. And so they, you know, emptied the wine out and cleaned them up and then they started aging beer in it. And they're these beautiful, yeah, I think they're clay vessels. Um, I have some photos of it and they just have them in there, you know, next to their, uh, tap tower, which their tap tower is this old, like, uh, like tea cellars, like this metal tea cellars. Uh, box. Yeah. So it was beautiful. Yeah, they've converted that into their tap tower. That's super um, cool. What's yeah. that? And the name of the brewery again? It's uh, Moon Zen. Moon Zen. All right. So every everybody, when you're in uh, Hong Kong, <laughs> check out. Try to find Moon Zen. Yeah, try to find Moon Zen or or uh, find go find their beer at a tap room or there something. You, you know, in town. Uh, we actually went to a great restaurant that took us to an amazing meal at a place in uh, in Hong Kong called Missy Ho's, and they had. Uh, Man, I think it was like a seven-course beer pairing menu. Wow! That they had uh, they just started doing, and it was fantastic. The chef, uh, he's Australian, but he lived for a long time in Japan, 
And so he's a you know master trained sushi chef, and now he's been in Hong Kong for quite a long time. And so he just yeah, it was it was an amazing meal, and and it's a lot of fun too. They have like all these uh, 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 stuff with like fat, like animal hats on the wall, so we all ended up wearing those uh, just for fun. They're like, like yeah, you know this is supposed to be a good place, you know. So you come and have a nice meal, but it's also laid back, and there's like these swings that came down. They had feather boas and everything, you know. I mean, it's small. It's not a it's not a TJ Fridays or whatever, but uh, yeah, it's a really cool spot. Actually, what's fascinating is the people sitting right next to us was like the leadership from uh, Burton Snowboards. They were having a good time. What's that? Burton Snowboards. Oh, Burton Snowboards. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I bet they were. <laughs> <laughs> they just had a big conference, and yeah, they were definitely a party. Nice. Um, so talk a little bit about the eight by eight thing. And the, the, what what did yeah. other breweries come up with? Like yeah, so how, how did that how did that whole thing go? Yeah, yeah. So um, so the other breweries. Let's see. We had it was uh, from Oregon. It was Culmination, Commons, Breakside, and Ten Barrel, and then uh, Cloudburst and Holy Mountain from Washington and Parallel Forty Nine uh, from Vancouver, BC, and some of the other beers. Uh, the one that I was like really excited to try, uh, and it turned out really well, was the uh, one that Parallel Forty Nine did with their partner, um, Taps Brewing, and they did a uh, sweet and sour IPA. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it was a really, really neat kind of concept. Yeah, yeah, totally. So it was basically like um, I can't remember if they kettle soured or not, but it was kind of a tartish, uh, a kind of a tart IPA. Okay. Um, and how did yeah. they do the sweet part? Um, God, I'd have to like look up the, the description to remember. I really can't remember. Did they, but sweet. was it an, an addition? Oh, you know what it was? Is that they had lactose to it. Oh, okay. That was the sweet. Yeah, that's where the sweet came from. Interesting. And it worked. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah it did really work. hard to pull off. Yeah, yeah. That's what I. That's why I really wanted to try yeah. it because I was like, <laughs> I mean, as, as an American, you're like, yeah, sweet and sour. That's like Chinese food all the way, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah. So that one was really fascinating. Let's see. Um, I'm trying to remember what some other people did. It was actually interesting. I feel like most of the beers, they were they either went towards like the light fruity side of things, or hops. Mm, yeah. It was one or the other. Um, they must have been excited to work with American brewers. I bet they really, if they're into hops and all yeah. these guys from the Northwest come over, they probably totally yeah. Let's brew really hoppy beer. Yeah, mm, yeah. I think you're and, right. And you're thinking the opposite. Like we brew these all the time. We want to <laughs> yeah. Let's do something with your ingredients. Exactly. That <laughs> expands and is fascinating to us. Yeah, yeah. totally. Uh, one of the brewers that I enjoyed the most was uh, Tehu Brewing from Te- Taiwan. Okay. So they had done a, uh, a fruited beer with uh, with passion fruits. Uh, with the commons and so uh, they had actually like you know brought in all the passion fruits and like uh, shucked them all by hand you know like peeled them all by hand and everything wow. and pureed it and put it in and so they had a number of beers that they had done other beers they had done with fruits uh, that were just beautiful like the fruit flavor was incredible um, and yeah, I'm trying to you know, a number of the other brewers. I mean, everybody. Everybody made really great beer. Uh, there's just like certain ones, obviously, when you're at a festival, uh, that it's it was so it was four sessions mm. uh, over two days, mm-hmm. and uh, at each session, we all we poured our collaboration beer, and then we poured two of our own beers, mm-hmm. and and so and we poured 
two different beers every session. So yeah. eight in total. Nice. From each brewery. That's yeah. really cool. So you got to taste a lot of Chinese beer just there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we got yeah, we got to start a lot of it. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as like Chinese, you know, we went to a couple, uh, we went to tap rooms in Chengdu and Hong Kong. Um, we had some really nice beers from Young Master, okay. uh, which they're in Hong Kong as well. Okay. And um, we went to their, their tap room that's in Kowloon. And uh, yeah, we had like a kind of a, a tart fruited beer. Oh, I remember it was like a blood orange beer. It was it was for like Halloween basically. Oh, nice. And that one was delicious. And then in Beijing, um, you know, it's, it, mainly we had beers like at the festival, mm-hmm. um, and then at some of the events surrounding the festival. But a lot of the beers surrounding the festival was either a Jingye event or something where we had kind of our own beers there. Uh, probably one of the most interesting things that happened uh, was uh, there is they have a Beijing homebrew club oh, and cool. yeah so those guys were set up and and selling memberships and when you sign up when you become a member they give you this really cool gold bottle opener that um, the shape it's almost like a I think of like we have a ulu at home I don't know if you know that's like this. <laughs> No idea. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of how to describe the shape. That's the only thing I can think of that looks like it. It's basically kind of a triangle, but it's almost, it's rounded on the bottom. Okay. And um, so the bottle opener, it's gold and it looks like that, and each one is numbered, um, you know, because for your membership number. And I believe they said they had, they had membership in the thousands. Wow. Which, I mean, there's 25 million people in Beijing. Still. That's, <laughs> that's still great. No, I know, but like. That's what, I mean, homebrewing is, you know, <laughs> it requires you to really... Invest something. Yeah, I so. believe they told me there it's illegal too. Oh, really? If I remember correctly, I think. Um, Apparently, but, too illegal since they're yeah, it's not that brewers best with their their yeah, homebrew club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember now if that's what they said. Um, anyways, the uh, there was two brothers that were there, uh, and they, they had these badass hoodies. Uh, they were these like black hoodies, and they had this like. Uh, they had a gold chain for the um, for where you'd like have the drawstring. Yeah. But it was this like big gold chain that connected, and then their bottle opener, their gold <laughs> bottle opener, was connected to you know to the bottom of the chain. Nice. Super badass. And then <laughs> uh, and then there was this like art on the back of the hoodie that it looked like kind of like almost like a run the jewels, if you know like that. Right? Yeah. It looked like their kind of art that they have on one of their labels is really cool. I tried to talk him into like. You know, doing a swap or something. <laughs> and, he, and he was like, "Yeah, maybe I'll do it." And I, I just knew that he never. That, he yeah. would. I wouldn't. I wouldn't swap it. I was. I was just like, "It's worth a try." Right. Because uh, <laughs> it's <was> so cool. <laughs> Actually, I gotta get in touch with him to see if I can just like order one and have it made or something. Totally. But uh, but on the second night, they're like, they're like, "You should come to our friend's place. You should come to our friend's place." And we thought, we thought they were asking us to go to like their buddy's house, sure, to, like, drink some homebrew or whatever. Yeah. And we were like, yeah, we'll come hang out with you guys. And it was funny because all the other brewers were like, <laughs> were like, were like no, I don't go. You're just going to end up in somebody's like ratty house or whatever, drinking homebrew. And, uh, that and actually like, sounds incredibly cool to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, that's what, yeah, that's what we thought. We were like, we we're like no, we want to see like real yeah. Beijing. You totally. Know? Like, yeah, because you don't, how often do you get invited to somebody's home? Exactly. Yeah. Especially their homebrewer serving you their own beer. That's yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. So we, were, yeah, I mean, we were totally down for it, but it was pretty funny. Like everybody's like, "Don't do it, don't do it." <laughs> right. And uh, and so they took us. 
it was not far. It was only a few blocks away from the from the event, but it was actually a buddy of theirs who has a brew pub. So it was like an actual brew pub, and he had a like a five heck system. Nice. And so yeah, we got to try a few of their beers. Really nice beers. And it actually some of the other brewers like randomly ended up there. And those guys, one of the uh, popular beer snacks you may have had it when you were there, but like is is just like skewers of meat. Uh, grilled over a charcoal barbecue, and uh, and it's usually lamb. Although we came to find out like later on that there's only there's the same word for lamb or goat. Yeah. So it's either lamb or goat. Right. Um, That's the same in India. They're pretty much the same. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but they're just delicious. They start bringing in like all the skewers and drinking all this beer and hanging out with these guys and you know, talking with them and having so much fun. Uh, but one of the most fascinating things was. I was asking about their brew house and they said, yeah, they're like, they're like, yeah, you know, they're like the company that sold that brew house has sold 200 of them to restaurants and bars in Beijing this year. Wow. These, the same five hack, the same five hack system. And I was like, so there's 200 new breweries in, in Beijing. And they're like, no, 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 and like, no, no. These are like restaurants and bars that just want to make their own beer. They are, they're like in their mind, they're like, they're not breweries. Right. Whereas for us, we'd be like, Totally yeah, a brewery. Yeah, we got 200 breweries in town. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look at this. Oh, my God. That's an amazing story. That's, that's yeah. Things are really potentially really going. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to know, you know, what kind of beer they're going to make because, you know, when you're putting in that many breweries, it's probably just going to be kind of a side thing. Um, right. And and I heard stories about gray market beer, um, which has been going on for a long time in, uh, in China where people will take the bottles and make quote-unquote beer and fill the bottles and then sell them for the same price you know in the local market and so who knows what you're really getting yeah um it's yeah i think a lot of times it's like kind of more watered down beer or but it might be something that that, you know people make on their own um so it's hard to know what it is but i mean yeah there's definitely this potential for a lot of growth and hopefully you know that as you get more and more breweries that are making really good beer there which you know most of the beer we have there was great uh that it's just gonna, it's gonna force those other people that they have to make really good beer too. Right. So hopefully it's just yeah, a rising tide. You see that process in every every country, right? So yeah, they got to go through the the growing pains, and then people get to a sense of what the beer tastes like, and then it, they start making better and better beer. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They demand it. We we went through that process here in the United States. <laughs> totally. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I feel like in China. Um, so one of the things, too, that we learned when we were there is that the Chinese government recently started cracking down on restaurants. Mm. And so, you know, you used to have all of these mom and pop shops, whatever, you know, kind of restaurants everywhere. Anybody could have a restaurant. And now they're actually going out and inspecting inspecting them, licensing them and grading them and shutting down the ones that don't pass. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think it's part of, you know, them becoming more of a... And that's in Beijing, though. That was no. That was across the country. Across the country. Yeah, we actually learned about it when we were first in uh, Chengdu. Okay. And so it's. I think it's. You know, it's a. It's good and a bad thing. When it was presented to us, um, we went on a food tour in Chengdu, uh, which was a great idea. If anybody goes to China, definitely like sign up for a food tour because they'll, <laughs> they'll they'll introduce you to things you probably wouldn't know, either know about or maybe try. Yeah. And give you a insight into you know what's going on, uh, especially if you like to eat. I love to eat so. They're not uh, doing Chinese American food there, is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're doing American style beers, but not Chinese American food. Yeah. Not yet, thank God. Yeah. Yeah, the food all the food we had there was amazing. 
Like, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, so good. Actually, the the food that we found that um, we went to a couple restaurants in Beijing that were Yunnan mm. food, which uh, Yunnan province is it's in the southwest of China and just below Sichuan and above like Burma and Laos and Thailand oh, yeah. okay. and all that. And so it it basically it the flavors are a combination of all of those. Gotcha. And um, you know we heard from a few people that you know that who knows who influenced who. All right. Kind of, yeah, right, exactly. Right. It doesn't really matter at this point. Um, but, but but the person telling the story usually claims most One way or the other. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yunnan food inspired all that great time. <laughs> yeah, that's actually how we heard it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe true. But, yeah, it's uh, really hard to know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I was like, yeah, the restaurants that we went to, I thought, if I had money, like, in time, I would, I would go over there and partner with one of those guys and bring them to Portland because it would be like... You know, the, the Yunnan restaurant will be the next Pock Pock in Portland. Right. It's kind of like that, you know? Yeah. Like like a lot of really um, just fresh herbs and flavors and combinations of... We had, the, we had the most incredible, like, simple chicken soup. And also this dish with, like, tons of chilies all over it. You know, so it kind of it goes from mild all the way to, you know, not the spiciest food we had, but mm-hmm. more towards that right. direction. Right. Yeah. And just a lot of fresh herbs and... Um, and produce and everything. Sorry, cool. Yeah. All right. So, uh, what? Give us a, a global takeaway. You've been to China now. You've brewed with some Chinese breweries. Tasted some Chinese beer. Where, where do you see China? Where is you know what? What's the future of China? How, how are you feeling about the Chinese brewing scene now? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it. Had, they have a fantastic footing, mm-hmm. um, and I think that it's poised to do really, really well. Um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the beer that they're making there is really good and a lot of people are traveling a lot of people from that are brewing beer in China are either from another place or they're traveling to other places to experience other beers and other cultures right. and then through Jing A doing events like 8x8 and bringing us over then um, we get the chance to get to know each other and um, you know hopefully that'll make all of our brewing better um, and, did and that expand bring a, what we're doing did that event bring a lot of people in did a lot of people get to try the beer yeah, I'm trying to remember just how many people they. I want to say they had a couple thousand people for each session. Oh, that's and, pretty good. Yeah, and it was. I felt like it was a good mix of expats and Chinese people. Yeah, the Chinese um, people are the interesting ones, right? Yeah, because you, you, you don't know like how many how many of them are going to really get into it. You know. Yeah. That's the thing. A lot of these craft beer bars, I think, are are designed for expats. Interesting. Okay. And so it starts the expats, and then it kind of expands beyond there. Right. Um, so the next phase is probably going to be figuring out what kind of beer appeals to Chinese people. Like, exactly. what's, what's Chinese beer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what they want besides snow. Right. <laughs> that's, or, yeah, yeah. That's an interesting. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, because they, they drink a lot of, you know, snow, Qingdao. They drink a lot of uh, uh, Baijiu. Um, which is like the, did you have that when you were there? It's no. this, uh, it's, it's like cheap, well, I don't know how cheap it is. It actually goes from cheap to really expensive, but it's this, I think, fairly inexpensive liquor that's made from, I feel like originally it was made from sorghum, but then they can use wheat. You know, there's a lot of different stuff you can use to make it. And it's just basically, you buy it based on alcohol content. I see. And so it's anywhere, we saw it anywhere from like 42%. And we heard that it went up to 80%. Ooh. Yeah. And it's, um, 
great. I don't know if it's because everybody told us that it was really bad that when we finally had it, we were like, oh, this is so bad. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It was built up so much. Yeah. Um, or or we just got goodbye show. But I know that like we did end up yeah, you know, we got we got stuff in pints. Like I bought this little like plastic flask in a train station. Uh, it was I think it was like three dollars for a little flask of forty two percent by Joe that we drank on the uh, bullet train back to. I Shantan. see how your trip went. You know, oh yeah, we drank a lot. Um, <laughs> but it's actually you know it's one of the great things is that uh, well we are brewers so we're going to drink a lot. But uh, yeah, I will say one of the great things about. Chinese drinking culture is uh, with those industrial beers like Snow or Qingdao or like the, my favorite of all those beers that we had was the one we had in uh, Guilin that um, and I, I don't know the name of the brewery but it has these like elephants doing different things <laughs> on the can um, that was my my favorite of all of them but they're pretty much all like 3% alcohol and it's, it's a lager and it's lager yeah and so so you can it's almost like you know I challenge you to get intoxicated on this because <laughs> it's 3%. Yeah. So you can drink a lot of it. You know, yeah, you can yeah. basically drink it all day long and and only have a subtle buzz going on. Right. Um, and pee a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I think, yeah, I think Chinese, China's uh, craft beer culture definitely has a good footing and the potential to grow a lot. And a lot of people are betting on that it's going to you know like you said like like big brewers are there stones there uh it was a Yuminta beer mm-hmm. um i'm trying to remember what other breweries we saw anchor um you know there's there's a lot of beer around there's we actually uh through, kind of through this trip he'd already contacted us before but um kind of through this trip we met a guy who's importing uh, Oregon spirits and wine and cider and a little bit of beer into Shanghai. Mm-hmm. And he was actually, he's, he's actually in Portland right now. Um, I think he leaves today or tomorrow. But, uh, or no, maybe it's next week. Anyways, um, we're going to send some kegs on his next shipment. Um, so after, I met him at the festival and then he, he's out here now and we met here and talked and everything. And so we're going to send uh, a pallet of you know, 20 liter kegs to China and, you know, check it out and see, see what it's like. Cool. Um, yeah. See how it goes. Yeah. Gigantic yeah, in China. Gigantic in China. Yeah. And he's, he's a great guy, Patrick. Um, you know, he's, he's been doing importing for a long time. Um, first in Japan and then now in China. And, you know, he's been bringing in spirits from Ransom, which we're really good friends with those guys and cider from Wandering Angus and, you know, wine from some other local providers and spirits from other local providers and I think um, they brought in beer from Upright in the past mm-hmm. so it's definitely something that we're interested in yeah at least explore, exploring cool you know seeing, seeing what's going on over there well Ben Love from Gigantic Brewing thank you so much for <laughs> yeah. this uh, when you go to the next exotic country maybe we'll check back in if you're in some other remote region you can tell us what the scene is like there yeah i met down in new zealand in february all right so there you go <laughs> patrick and i actually when when the new zealand guys and the dutch guys were yeah. in uh in town we talked to some of them at the obf so oh, cool we're a little interested in them so totally yeah, and we'll have to yeah. hear more about that yeah, be fun. all right all right Good thanks man thank you all right nice job jeff why thank you uh, i give ben all the credit he did all the talking yeah so china obviously is is a uh, uh, an amazingly uh, huge untapped 
beer market. And so if if they can even just start getting a little momentum going, it's just amazing the potential there. Yeah, it's really true. Uh, th- and that's why big breweries are, have really had their interest you know, foot trained on, on China. It's like the last frontier of right. a large population where they could really see substantial growth. Um, the thing that's interesting to me always with, with these situations is what kind of, so the, 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 the beer that's popular in China is light lager, just like it is everywhere. Right. It's not yep. really Chinese beer yep. and the beer that, that these guys brew, uh, you know, sounds from Ben's description, like it's mostly American craft beer. So the, right. the big question is if this takes off, then does something natively Chinese get developed? And I'm always fascinated to see what that would look like. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, well, check back in a few years. <laughs> and we do have a fun uh, beer in front of us that will give us a little taste of these international collaborations. Um, what I have is a, a beer that was brewed with uh, uh, Shiga Kogan. Is that what I have written down there? Somewhere it's written down there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Shiga Kogan. <laughs> oh, Shiga Kogan, excellent. Wait a minute, there's a script? <laughs> hey, exactly. <laughs> oh, that thing. <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah, so what, what did I write down there? So uh, this is uh, Gigantic did a, a beer. This is um, their Japanese uh, collaboration with Shiga Kogan, um, and it's aged in sake barrels. It's called Kagami Biraki right, which comes IPA. From, yeah, uh, Kagami Biraki is the word that comes from the tradition of sake barrel breaking ceremony that occurs at happy events like weddings and ceremonial openings. Uh-huh. So this beer was aged in those things. And um, I, I'm, I, it's an IPA, so we'll give it a try. You know anything else about it? Nope. And it's it was not released to the public. It's not a it was, so there's not a lot of information on it. Right. Um, so nice. Let's we're just try. Was that was that brewed here in Portland at their brewery here? I have no idea. Huh. Actually, maybe we'll look on the bottle. There's some Japanese on the bottle, which is pretty cool. Uh, but it has an all official looking label, like the government. It's actually, yeah, it's actually. Oh, here we are. Brewed and bottled by uh, Tamamura Honten Company Limited, Nagano, Japan. Oh, cool. Yeah. So this is from Japan. You brought this. Wow. You brought us this beer. Sorry. I'm... <clears throat> yeah, you're not giving us the audio, man. So uh, that's already pretty high on the cloudiness factor. Our cloud, uh, the 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 patented beer vana cloudiness scale. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I I think I read somewhere that it's supposedly a New England IPA style. Right. So it would visually, I would say visually, yes. It visually does. That was kind of a crap pour. Sorry about that. Yeah, that really sucks. <laughs> it's like five inches of foam. <laughs> um, it's hard, uh, but it's also pretty effervescent beer. So in your in your defense. And it's, I, I was pouring for audio, not visual. Yeah. And this is what you end up I with. I know. It's always compromises, man. It is really enormously aromatic. So give that a sniff. Ooh, wow. Hmm. We're really flying in the dark here because none of us has any, neither of us has any idea what a sake barrel is or what it might do with, to this beer or how long it was in there or anything else. So <laughs> we're basically oh. just going to. Try this thing and see what an international collaboration tastes like. Let's find out what an IPA Asian sake barrels taste like. Here we go. Yeah. Mm. Took a nice hefty hork off that. Well, at first blush, it tastes very much just like an IPA. Mm-hmm. 
I'm trying to decide what I think the sake barrel contributes here. And the aftertaste is a little more sharp. And there's some nice resinous stuff there, and it, it's. I can talk myself into saying that it's woody, but ha <laughs> ha Am I talking myself into it, or is it in fact woody? <laughs> I gave him. I gave him a look. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm actually having the same the same issues. Like I'm trying to. It's definitely resinous. Discern, yeah, it's definitely resinous. There's a. It's very bitter in the end. But I'm trying to decide if part of that bitter is uh, not just from the hops, but also from the sort of snap of the of the the, uh, the sake bear alcohol. But hmm. uh, it's been a while since I've actually had sake. It is. It is. Uh, it's got a wonderful and interesting mouthfeel. It, it is fluffy, but yep. not thick. Not thick in the caramel malt sense. It's more just fluffy. It's light, mm-hmm. which yeah. is unusual. Um, yeah, it is. It's got to be. There's that bitterness at the end is unusual and weird, and man, it is lingering. Yeah, exactly. That's it's really I'm... and it's coating my mouth. It feels like <laughs> I've uh, I got I got something in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really. It's it's yeah. As you say, it's sort of resinous in that sense that it doesn't leave the mouth. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> By the way, the flavors, um, the 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 first impression flavor is quite quite good. It's a little old school IPA in that I, it's more pine and. Uh, than than citrus, the aroma is pretty fruity, and then the flavor is less right. And that also could be an in, in, impact of the barrels themselves. Well, that's fun, uh, especially if you age. If you age those kind of hops, I doubt you know the citrus lasts that long. But yeah, that's definitely does not taste uh, usual. Mm-hmm. So you want an international collaboration? You would have hoped that it wouldn't just taste like a regular beer. Yeah, and this does not taste like regular beer. Yeah, the more I drink it, the more I'm starting to discern the different flavors I think that are coming from the barrel I like it yeah definitely unfortunately no one will ever get to taste it but yeah um, <laughs> there you go so yeah. now you know and now you know the instructive <laughs> thing I think is just that these international collaborations have the potential uh, to produce something unusual when when people from different cultures come together and bring their own ideas well it's great to sit here uh, sharing a beer and trying to decide, you know, what a sake barrel does to it, and never having experienced that before. And I mean, these are the great things about these kinds of collaborations: is you bring a little local taste and a little flavor in. And yeah, yeah, I love it. Good. All right. Well, shall we go to the mailbag? Let's go to the mailbag as we keep sipping the beer. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, why don't you get get us started? All right, David. And I'll drink another beer. Yep. David McCaleb writes from the internet. Uh, in response to the criticism we received in the mailbag last uh, last episode, which criticized us for <laughs> rambling on about the weather <laughs> and getting way kind of off topic, he, uh, I think said maybe we should rein that in a little bit. But David McCaleb says, keep up the banner and weather updates. They keep at least some of us entertained. <laughs> Um, so now you know that's when our, that's continue our, to that's our audience, baby. That's right. <laughs> so you can blame David when we keep up our weather chatter. All right. So, uh, and then we also from Ontario. Besides, it is an obsession of Northwesterners, the weather. So Yeah, it is, because we have so little. Yeah. 
Rodney Carter from Ontario also writes, I love the banner, particularly the weather talk. Uh, being Canadian, talking about the weather is a social nicety necessity, and I find it a fun little way to be welcomed back into the podcast. So again, Rodney and uh, David, send your complaints about our weather chat to them. Uh, actually, <laughs> look look forward to our future pods where we actually have a whole segment about the weather. That's right. <laughs> the okay. forecast, the barometric pressure. <laughs> We're, uh, we're definitely going to expand that now. No, probably not. Uh, I'm going to hand you the, uh, I'm going to hand you Rodney's second comment, which is actually substantive. You can, Uh-oh. you can go on from there. All right. It's, it's cool. It's more economic. So, uh, he, he writes, cans have become a lot more prevalent in Ontario with some breweries opening recently that are, uh, can exclusive and others, which previously were in bottles are now tr- transitioning to cans. This past summer, in particular, saw a massive increase in the number of small 355 milliliter. What the? Come on, metric system, please. Oh, there we go, 12 ounce cans. (laughs) (laughs) This change is notable for its speedy and fairly widespread adoption. uh, And because it demonstrates craft breweries showing some independence from the Liquor Control Board of Ontario, up until very recently, the government-run LCBO stores preferred to sell in 473 or 500 milliliter tall boys, and so if breweries wanted their products listed, they had to comply. Uh, this brings brings back memories. So I used to spend my summers in uh, Ontario, outside of Smith Falls, Ontario, where uh, my um, grandmother was from, and uh, yes. Uh, uh, the weekly trips uh, to the LCBO store, the beer, the beer store, <laughs> where you'd go to the little counter and you'd order your beer, and then it would come out on this little uh, conveyor belt from behind a big wall. There's like a warehouse, and like the big, uh, uh, you're either Molson or Cabats. My Labats and my my family was Molson, so the big cases of Molson beer would be rolled out on this little conveyor <laughs> conveyor belt thing. Sorry, just a little trip down there. You you are an international man of mystery. I th- it feels like we can talk about any country, and you're going to say, "Ah, eh, when I was a kid, I used to." <laughs> I had this experience in this country. Uh, yeah, Smith Falls, Ontario, man. All right, there uh, you go. my uncle was uh, a Canada Tire salesman for uh, for many years. Huh. Anyway, uh, well, Rodney's going to love that. He had no idea. He thought you, this was going to be a remote experience, but here you are. No, nope, sharing nope. an experience. Grew up, uh, grew up uh, drinking the. Well, I wasn't drinking, but my family was drinking <laughs> the uh, the 473 milliliter cans. At that point, they might have actually been announced, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, so that's interesting. It. Um, I, I just thought I'd pass that along. Not, well, not a whole lot to say. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think from the perspective of the brewers and perspective of the beer. Um, the beer itself. I'm going to speak for the beer. <laughs> uh, cans are fantastic. Yeah. Cans are really a superior uh, 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 package in, in lots of ways. And in fact, when we were talking to Hopworks, he was even talking about just the portability and the ability to take them into the woods and uh, the recy- recyclability and the, the fact that if they, they drop, they don't break and create health hazards and things like that. Yeah. Um, but it preserves the beer so well. The one thing I would say is that and i do this with bottles as well uh but drinking um straight from either a can or a bottle i i don't prefer i prefer to decant always <laughs> you're you're showing me the sludge at the bottom of yeah that's the, this beer is starting to settle out and it's got some yeah there, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff in suspension in that that, in is, that beer or that no is longer suspension dropping out yeah uh so cans are cans are a, a, a superior package i always recommend decanting 
always, 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 because you get all the other senses involved, the visual, the the, the nose. See this grit. Yeah, you get to see the grit. You say you get the grit. <laughs> it's the, it's the, um, the heady topper, right, which they suggest perhaps you want to bring straight from the can. That's right. <laughs> I don't want you to see the grit. Uh, um but yeah, so my point, finally getting to my point, was that it really takes the, the customer, though, to start accepting cans as a, a, a good package, as a package where quality beer can be, it can be distributed. And I think that's changing really quickly. And I think that certainly in, uh, in Oregon, it seems to be um, uh, pretty ubiquitous now, seeing good beer in cans and people accepting that good beer comes in cans. Totally. So uh, go for it. I, uh, the more cans, the better. I'm all, I'm all about the cans now. All right. That's it. We're done. <laughs> that, was, that was easy, huh? That was, yeah. <laughs> Especially for me. <laughs> I didn't have anything. Uh, all right. So thanks very much for listening to the podcast. Uh, first, we'd like to encourage you to rate us on iTunes. In fact, uh, I, I never even knew what that meant. Um, I actually went and looked before we started the podcast to figure out how you go and rate us on uh, iTunes. You got you to gotta list all the, all the available episodes and then scroll down to the bottom. And I actually rated us today. Right, and we only had twelve ratings, so come on, people. Yeah, that really sucks. You we guys, gotta, you guys got to pick up your game. Yeah. So I gave us, you know, I no gave, wonder nobody listens to us. I gave us two stars. That's fair. Harsh but fair. It really doesn't matter what you rate us; just rate us. Uh, uh, we, yeah. If you are one of those Patrick two star guys, maybe you can skip it. So, I, so I, I assume why it's important is that you can like look up things based on ratings. Like you can look the, the highest rated podcast for beer. Or something. I think what happens is their algorithms uh, begin to bump up more popular, heavily rated things, so that you see them more quickly. Like if you type things in like beer, you want a beer podcast, and there's a remote podcast from Oregon with twelve ratings yeah uh, the algorithms are not going to like that you're yeah. not going to like it at one darn bit so get in there so get in there maybe maybe one day Guinness will come back <laughs> <laughs> that's right uh, oh boy okay a few more words going out about how to contact us if you'd like to send us some feedback email at jeff at beervanablog.com or visit the beervana blog facebook page do it do it uh, uh oh. hey you know you know actually it's been liberating sort of finally giving up the pretense of having a blog and just doing the Twitter. Yeah. So like I'm actually like getting involved in your little Twitter like conversations. I stuff. know. I know you're actually This Twitter bringing, this Twitter thing's pretty cool. You're bringing the content. Yeah. It's good. So that's where you find me. Find find me at uh Beeronomics. and you can find me at Beervana. That's right. And you've got a really good blog, the Beervana blog. Go there. Thank you. Um I actually read it. Ah. Thank you is, very much. <laughs> which is <laughs> We're just saying something. <laughs> this is going to be really hard to cheers because, uh, well, I can take the bottle. All right. Oh, you've left it empty. Wow. Okay. Well, that's just because I'm. we're drinking this beer. Yeah. Anyway, be in touch. Give us your suggestions. Look forward to our Seattle, our post from Seattle. Yeah. Uh, if you have any recommendations about places we should visit in Seattle or if you have any questions you'd like us to ask Seattle brewers, Ooh, very good. Very good. Yeah. Please do that. Yeah, get in touch uh, either, as we said, you email us or get on the Twitter feeds. Yeah, excellent. We're, we're there. This is a participatory thing, so let yeah. us know. Yeah, and we're taking the train. We're Ubering, so we don't have to, like, hold back. That's right. <laughs> we're going <laughs> to we're gonna go taste some beer. <laughs> we're going to taste some beer, and when we're, when we're in situ, if we're not interviewing people, we're just visiting a brewery, we will um, we'll pull out the, the mic, and we will give our impressions, and uh, we'll paste those together in a later episode, and that will no doubt be 
some fine, fine content. That's right. You, that'll be your comprehensive guide to Seattle yeah, beer. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Patrick. I'll see you in Seattle. Yeah. <laughs>